welcome to this episode of the Art and Design of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, Mystery and Horror. In today's episode, I speak with uh, Lee Gambin, who's written and edited an extensive book on uh, The Howling, the werewolf movie The Howling. So thank you and enjoy. I'm speaking with Lee Gambin, author and editor of The Howling, Studies in the Horror Film. Thank you for speaking with me. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to be on. So, first, tell me, how did you get into uh, studying and writing about this subject? And you can go all the way back to the beginning. Right. Well, I always loved the film. Um, I remember distinctly the first um, uh, screening I ever saw of it, which was on Channel 9 uh, in Australia here, obviously, back in um, the 80s. Mm. Um, And it played, funnily enough, uh, from memory right after um, Sybil which is the major TV movie uh, with Sally Field and Joanne Woodward. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that, and that really haunted me between the same and The Howling as well. And what I loved ultimately about The Howling, um, uh, as well as it being such a brilliant film, a perfect film, and a werewolf movie and a monster movie, which I grew up loving, mm-hmm. was the fact that it was a community of werewolves. So it was kind of the first time as a kid remembering uh, seeing a whole a film where basically it was a community of werewolves, werewolves a whole group of them rather than one rogue werewolf that you were used to seeing you know the Lon Chaney films like The Wolfman and stuff mm-hmm. so it was really cool to, to understand and, and grasp that just to have these um, incredible incredibly diverse um, werewolf characters living together in this colony this community mm-hmm. where they were all trying to get help which I thought was interesting and fun mm-hmm. um, and I loved obviously the special effects and Robert Team's beautiful work and um, all the performances in it, all the great character actors like Finn Pickens and John Carradine and Dee Wallace's amazing tour de force performance, you know, she's just brilliant and Belinda Belatsky is so great as well. There, all the elements are perfect, but I think John, Joe Dante really created this incredible film. So as a teenager, um, you know, obviously my obsession with the film grew, but as a teenager I remember trying to find um, writing on The Howling and there wasn't much. There's a great book called American Nightmares, which is essays of the modern horror film, and there's a great essay in that mm-hmm. um, with um, the Funhouse, Toby Hooper, the Funhouse also examined alongside it. And there were some bits and pieces here and there talking about the howling and John Sayles' incredible script and the role of the media in the film mm-hmm. um, and, you know, uh, the idea of uh, oppression and repressing... Um, you know, the beast and all of us, all that sort of stuff. There was all this great writing. There was minimal great writing on it, I found. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought this film deserves a full, you know, dedicated book uh, that will examine the film and its themes. Mm-hmm. But also because what I do with my writing is um, balance that critical analysis with heaps of production history. Because I feel like if you're going to write about movies made in the 70s and 80s, chances are most people are still alive so right. it's best to interview them and give them a voice mm. because it's not just your own reading into these films it's everyone who works in these films and I was exhausted in my coverage so I got everyone from Joe Dante and Dean Wallace and Dick Miller and Ronald Picardo and Belinda Velasquez all the way through to um, people like Catherine Keane who worked on the werewolf sex scene she did the animation for that Richard Hescox who did all the early quiz drawings um, you know everyone basically I could grab uh, and they're all in there. Some people obviously couldn't do interviews or weren't available. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it sort of grew from that, and that sort of started um, a few years ago now. Uh, but yeah, so basically, just to answer your question, yeah, I fell in love with the movie as a kid. 
um, Love It to Death, it's a comfort movie, one of the many comfort movies of mine. Mm. Uh, Werewolves are proper, probably my favourite movie monster, written endlessly on werewolf film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just it grew from there and I just decided to do this book, which will be, which is a scene by scene breakdown and heavy analysis as well as loads of production history and mammoth amounts of quotes and, um, interviews with cast and crew. Plus, on top of that, never before seen photos, production still, um, you know, documents uh, throughout the making of the film, artwork, um, call sheets, all that sort of stuff is in there. So it's going to be pretty, nice, you know, pretty looking book. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you said, you know, werewolves are your favorite uh, monster. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Howling is your favorite. Did it, with all the previous werewolf writing that you did uh, on werewolves, were you, you didn't want to start with the Howling, I guess, did you build up till, you know... You oh, could, right, yeah. So, what I was, so, I mean, I've been writing forever, uh, but professionally for the last, say, 12, 13, actually 15 years now, mm-hmm. but 15 years of professional writing, and I'd be doing essays here and there, and interviews here and there, and, um, you know, uh, critical studies sort of pieces on werewolf cinema, but The Howling was always kind of a recurring um, uh, point of reference throughout it, even if I was talking about something like, you know, She Wolf of London with June Lockhart, mm-hmm. I would bring in The Howling, so, you know, that film's all about gaslighting, it's not really a werewolf movie, June Lockhart talk about the book how do you um divide up the chapters how do you approach uh, the different parts of the movie that you wanted to explore oh well um if anyone's familiar with my book on Cujo, it's pretty much going to be the same sort of setup mm-hmm. so what i do is i'll watch the movie over and over again and analyze it and write about it and, and research it so research all the production history all the elements that came together and what i do is i structure it chapter by chapter by scene by scene so i'll break it down scene by scene and discuss all the um 
uh, stuff that's going on within the text, mm-hmm. um, and then also research all the production history behind those scenes and questions. So it becomes this whole scene-by-scene uh, scene analysis and scene-by-scene scene construction of how the film was made and how it was delivered and executed and, and um, performed, etc. And then um, within that, I'll interview cast and crew and for whatever appropriate scene I'm talking about or discussing or writing about, I'll have their quotes, their slabs of quotes um, integrated within that text. So if I'm talking about the sequence in the porn store in the Howling, um, I'll talk to Dee about her feelings on that. And then later, when I'm talking about the sequence where she turns into a werewolf, um, her quote on that sequence will be, you know, referenced in the, in the writing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that, basically a lot, uh, whole thing by thing breakdown. Mm-hmm. And that's a really easy, nice, clean way of, um, doing this kind of, um, you know, extensive made of, making of books. It's really a nice way to sort of present it. Mm-hmm. And you can walk through the movie, um, and then refer to the, the, the um, text, the subtext, the text of the production history as the film and the book progress. Mm-hmm. And I saw in the description the book has a lot of um, stills from the movie itself. Um, did you have any trouble getting those those stills and using uh, them in the book? I'm so blessed, absolutely blessed with the generosity of people. Um, I've done a few books now. Um, I did a book on music musicals of the 70s, and there was a whole bunch of people who... Um, had so much amazing stuff that I could contribute to the book. Um, the same goes with the Cujo book. Um, so much amazing stuff from, you know, cast and crew, um, and on-set photographers. And with The Howling, it's no different. I've had amazing generosity from Joe Dante. Like, he sent me a whole bunch of great photos. Um, the on-set photographer, she also sent me a bunch of photos. I had original art given to me from the artist who worked on the film. Um, a private collector. Um, so all these things came to me, um, you know, through these wonderfully generous people, and that's great, so beautiful to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they're all throughout that book, and it's beautiful, and it looks really lovely. So I've seen the, the galleys, and I'm really proud of what it looks like. It's a, it's a really centipede press. The publisher have done an incredibly good job, and you know their books, you know how attractive <laughs> their books are, mm-hmm. their Sale and Lock book, or their Exorcist book, or their Carry book. Um, just a really beautiful work. Did you uh, discover any um, any uh, themes or issues as you were examining the film? Anything that you came across that uh, maybe you hadn't seen before? Or you, maybe you don't want to discuss it and you want people to read about it, but I'll let you address right. the question. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the one thing that was really interesting that struck me is um, uh, the strange connection the film had to... Um, I don't know if you know about the case of Christine Chubbick. Um, she was the woman who was from Florida, I believe. She was a Florida journalist um, who on air killed herself. She shot herself on air. And that footage has gone missing since gone missing. There's been a couple of documentaries. And a biopic in a documentary called Kate Place Christine about it. And I recommend the documentary. It's really good. But basically, that whole sequence... Um, was supposedly inspirational to Paddy Chayefsky's network, which is that stunning film with Faye Dunaway and Peter Finch and Maureen Holden. Mm-hmm. But um, that case happened after network. But John Sayles um, was like, you know, quite influenced by the case of Christine Chubbuck, who was this woman who basically said, if you want violence, I'll give you violence, and killed herself on air, which is really full on, like, 
And he sort of uh, used that in the sequence where they turned to a werewolf and killed by Dennis Dugan on air. This whole idea of um, the, the media perception and ratings and all that sort of stuff, you know, playing into each other. Because Kevin McCarthy's characters obsessed ratings and, you know, uh, showcasing, you know, uh, the news in a kind of entertainment um, uh, way to method. Uh, so it's, it's that kind of stuff was interesting. And also... Um, hearing about different things that the, the cast and crew told me that were just incredibly interesting, such as, for instance, um, Joe Dante and the producer Mike Fennell, um, considering using real wolves in the film and then going to see, um, uh, Lou Shoemaker, who was one of the leading wolf specialists in film. He worked on films like Day of the Animals, the William Gerber film. Um, and, then sort of going to a, a enclosure where there were these wolves with Rob Bettine as well and being terrified of these wolves because you can't really train wolves. Um, and thankfully they went with the option of the, you know, the special effects, which is much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that, all these kind of tidbits are great. Um, just the, the, the nods to all these other films in the, within the film. There's a whole bunch of stuff in that book, like it's incredible. And everyone was really candid and quite open about their, their um, experiences on set. Um, and it was, it's great to hear. And also just hearing about people's methods of acting and their, their own personal lives as well and how it um, informed their performance style. <laughs> so, for instance, the wonderful Don McLeod, who has been an absolute legend um, in the creation of this book, he played T.C. Quist because it's just been so helpful and giving. <laughs> he told me stories about his past as a child where he would relate more to animals, to dogs and cats. And, um, you know, really wouldn't talk much and speak much, but he'd relate to animals more. And that kind of informed his career as well as, a, as an adult because he'd become, you know, Hollywood's go-to chimp. He'd play apes a lot. Mm-hmm. But he plays as wolf boy, this TV. Quick, choose my favourite of the werewolf. It's so cool. I love Margie Infert, Donna. Um, she's a great werewolf as well, but she's this nutsy, fruity, you know, XTP type. Mm. And I love all that sort of stuff and having her involved, you know, it's her first ever interview about the howling, you know, and she gives incredible, um, in-depth, um, you know, insights. So getting people who've never talked about it, um, uh, people who would be a surprise if they'd want me to talk to them about it, mm. like her Braha, um, who played the porno cashier, who just passed away a couple of years ago, actually, so mm. just after the interview, you know, like maybe a few months after. Um, and just also finding this, this beautiful connective tissue between everyone involved in um, in film because Herb was in the, the original production of Godspell and um, when I wrote on Godspell the movie, the 72 film for the musicals book, I thought, look, I'm going to ask, you know, Gilmer or Cormac who I interviewed for that or Robert Lamont who I interviewed for that to see if they still keep in touch and they did. So it was good to have those connections like the idea of um, people sort of working together and having this long history of film and theatre mm. all connecting and, you know, because I've always said everything good is connected, you know, mm. and I think there's a beautiful circle of artists who work together and have worked on different things and, and that's the whole Corman tradition and the whole, even Joe Dante tradition. So it's that, it's that cool thing of community there, which I think is fun. Um, but yeah, that, it, it was a fun ride, but it's, you know, it, it seems like it's such a lot time ago since I finished it, it's just taken a while to get out there, but it will be here soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So, um, over the year, you, you know, there are all those monster magazines, the popular monster magazines, and 
sci-fi magazines of the 80s and stuff, did they have, um, were there a lot of interviews with people uh, who, who worked on the Howling and those? Did you reference those? Yeah, I mean, it's been four years ago to see, uh, when it first came out, I remember the photo of Elizabeth Brooks on the sidebar. Uh, I remember Famous Monsters had stuff on the Howling. Mm. Uh, there was, yeah, there was a lot of coverage when the film came out, absolutely. Mm. Um, but, it, and then they had revivals, and then I remember I did, uh, with my friend Kai, she and I, um, had the pleasure of meeting Joe Dante when he was here in Melbourne for the Melbourne Film Festival. Mm. And we did a joint interview with a bunch of other journos, and we talked about the Howling, because we were doing this whole piece of Fangoria on the anniversary of The Howling, and that was really fun, that was cool. But yeah, The Howling pops up here and there, and everyone always referred to it as one of their favourite werewolf movies. That and American Werewolf in London always get, mm-hmm. you know, favourite werewolf film. Um, and I always um, <laughs> get cranky when people try and compare them because they're two different films entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone sort of seems to sort of go, oh, are you a Howling fan or an American Will fan? I'm always correcting them, going, no, they're two very different movies. <laughs> um, anyway, blah, blah. So, yeah, the idea of um, um, famous monster magazines from the past covering it, absolutely, yeah. Um, but I feel like, you know, what this book does for it is, you know, a definitive overall, you know, um, exhaustive mm-hmm. account on the film, so mm-hmm. I'm pretty proud of it, and I hope people enjoy it. Um, and I hope, more importantly, that the people who worked on the film, from Mark Goldblatt to John Horror to um, Gigi Williams, all these people um, enjoy reading it as well. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about other resources um, you used to do your research? Did you come across film outtakes or anything else that you haven't uh, mentioned before that you used? Um, there's a lot of stuff with the Dave Allen stop motion that I researched, which was the stop motion werewolf stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the deleted scene sequences. Um, this is all a lot of info from um, production crews. So it's, and also cast, remember, shooting that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more for the group therapy stuff. Um, there's a lot more stuff to do with the John Carradine character and the Margie Inkers character. Um, there was stuff that was, you know... Um, uh, taken out of the film because it was just bogging the film down and unnecessary mm-hmm. um, subplots that were kind of interesting that I liked that were that were unnecessary and complicated things. There was a whole thing where um, the Dennis Dugan character actually secretly had kind of a, a thing for Karen, for Dee Walter's character, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Velasquez's character, who is his colleague and girlfriend, um, senses it and all this sort of stuff. There was a sequence where Marsha, the werewolf, and Dee Wallace, the character, meet in the woods and have this confrontation over Bill, the husband. So there's all this stuff that was in there that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's sort of covered in um, and referred to in the amazing audio commentary from Joe Dante and Dee Wallace and co mm-hmm. on the uh, DVD of The Howling. And there's also that great documentary, um, uh, Unleashing the Beast, um, from Raw Rent Review, who does a great job um, in documenting film um, and doing making of documentaries. But this goes deep up. And also the idea of getting every, like as many people as I could involved, you get all those different angles. So um, just hearing Peter Coran, who worked on Star Wars and a whole bunch of things, mm-hmm. talking about the opening title with the howling uh, logo and the, and the, you know, the ripping of the making up the W and the, and the, and the title card smashing. Mm-hmm. 
all that stuff's incredible. Like, it's amazing to listen to um, and to read about. So all that research sort of came organically from people's insights because they were there and they were working on the film. So that was always fun. Originally, the book was going to be a lot bigger. It was going to have a lot more on um, all werewolf stuff. And I wrote a whole lot of stuff on different werewolf movies that was going to sort of, uh, you know, bookend the book with. It was going to be werewolf movie pre-howling and post-howling. Mm-hmm. But the publisher um, said, no, let's just keep it about the howling and... You know, let's do this, you know, 300 to 400 page book all on just the howling. I was going to include the sequels originally, and thank God I didn't. Like, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so it's a very, very tight, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. celebration of this wonderful, perfect film from 81. Did you get to uh, handle or um, see any of the props or set design stuff or anything like that? No, a lot of stuff's gone missing. So, um, and I, 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 you know, um, I'm here in Oz doing all this research. So there's nothing that was sent to me or, or given, and besides pictures, though, so, you know, um, digitally uh, scanned pictures and also pictures, um, hard copy pictures as well. Christine, for instance, I got a lot of stuff um, given to me from the producer, which covered that was hard copy, which I had to scan through. And he was lovely enough to um, share uh, that he keeps them, which is nice. That was also from Stone's Lot stuff as well. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as the howling, um, props and things, no, I wish. I wish things were still around. I'm sure the Robert Teen had some stuff still around, absolutely. But um, as far as other things, no. I know that um, I remember sort of asking um, uh, Don if he still kept his sheep, lamb, sheep, lamb wool vest. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't believe that Velasquez has her runners still, her sneakers still, that you mm. see a close-up of when she's being killed by Eddie Crick. But mm. other than that, no, I didn't get to handle anything, which would have been awesome. Mm. My God, absolutely. Like, if there was a surviving, you know, stop-motion Dave Allen werewolf, that would be really cool mm. um, to, you know, to tap. To, to, to yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's nothing that I've got to touch with it. So you mentioned a lot of stuff you loved about doing this research, but is there anything that really stands out as the most enjoyable part of researching this book? I, I think talking to these people and keeping in touch with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, I'm doing a small part for film history where I'm kind of keeping things alive. And I think these people appreciate that and love that, and I really respect that because I think what I really urge film writers and critics to do is always, if people are alive, give them a voice mm-hmm. to talk about this work that they've done because, yes, your criticism is important and, yes, your analysis is incredibly important, but it's also super vitally important to have the people who work on these films, these artists who work on these films, to be given a platform to talk about this stuff because it is important. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's what I treasure most about all this sort of stuff. And I've interviewed, you know, loads of people um, you know, in the last, you know, 15 or so years, and mm-hmm. for the most part, I've kept touch with all of them, and that's something that I think is amazing and important, and then you can, then you can kind of call people friends, which is really cool, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, jump on the phone just to gas bag and not have to, you know, do work stuff, which is really fun, but um, just as far as, yeah, answering your question, the most enjoyable thing would be that, yeah, I'd say so, the idea of um, connecting and hearing all this incredible insight that you would never know just from, you know, snippets here and there on a documentary or uh, in an article. 
mm-hmm. and getting really, you know, nitty gritty in, in the depth of all this stuff. You know, it's, it's an important thing and it's, and it's fascinating to, to document. Yeah. So you mentioned one uh, surprising thing you found, the thread, a thread in, in, in your research, but is there anything else that stands out as maybe the most surprising thing you discovered or as surprising? Um, about for the howling? Yes. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> There's a lot. I mean, see, I want people to buy the book, see? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. think one of them would be all the stuff about Bob Burns, um, uh, the art director who's been like such an interesting guy. He, uh, made, he directed a film actually called Mongrel, um, which is incredible. I wrote about it. Um, you can find it on diabolique.com, which is the website and magazine that I co-edit um, with Kat Allinger. And I wrote on Mongrel because I think it's a really smart, interesting film. It's a really grimy uh, film that he made and obviously the art direction for about a guy who um, sort of channels the spirit of a dog um, and goes crazy and has a kind of bisexual kind of um, uh, lust after this beautiful young girl and this equally beautiful young man. And it's kind of it's a weird film, very personal film, I feel, because this guy from Burns. But Bob Burns, hearing about him from Joe Dante and Mark Fennell and um, other people, um, Ronald Picardo, it was really interesting because his life would have been such an interesting thing. And he died tragically early. Um, but he also did the art direction for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, he worked on so good, he could say, on the lot. Um, you'll find a lot of all the stuff in the Marsden house when Susan, when Body Bedelia is walking through that, you'll find a lot of that stuff is replicated from, you know, stuff from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And also the grandmother, the skeleton grandmother, pops up in the howling and Dick Miller's bookshop. But just hearing about him and just how he designed stuff and his weirdness. Um, and his kind of uh, introverted sort of nature and how he was. That was interesting to, to research because I feel like he's sort of underappreciated, mm-hmm. but I feel like this book sort of gives him, even though he's gone, um, a kind of a, a, a voice, a pseudo voice. But yeah, no, that kind of stuff was always interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's heaps of stuff in the research that I felt, wow, this is really cool. Um, that I thought was really fun to sort of go through and dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, the way people, Robert Picardo, for instance, is a genius, um, not only as an actor, but also as how he um, uh, creates characters. So I researched his theatre career before The Howling, because The Howling was his first film. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful play um, called Gemini, where he plays this guy who's kind of, you know, basically dealing with duality. And so I sort of my angle was that in response to Eddie Quick. And he was really responsive to that. And it was cool because I guess other people probably wouldn't even think about talking about someone's theater career outside of, you know, the monster movie they did. And I think that's, you know, important as well because then as class people, as actors, they kind of bring, some some actors, not all, um, bring in elements of other roles they've done for the the, the roles they're taking on. But all that sort of stuff was really cool and fascinating to do. Dee Wallace, my God, like she's amazing. She's a superb storyteller and, you know, so, so amazing to talk to and to listen to and inspiring and life affirming and just her, just to talk to her, you know, multiple, I'm friends with her, like, but, you know, to have these in-depth conversations with her about the howling or Cujo mm-hmm. and how, where she goes as an actress is just fascinating. 
Yeah. Uh, so into the last few as well, like so wonderfully uh, insightful and candid and just about her technique and because she's so naturalistic and so organic mm. and really, really, really um, sort of the epitome of that kind of 70s and 80s um, actress of that sort of um, age bracket. You know, the way she sort of presents herself and performs, it's just beautiful to watch and to hear her talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all that stuff, you know, it all came together and it's, and it's, a, it's a meaty book with yeah. a lot of stuff, a lot of info. Yeah. Was there a uh, question that you were struggling to, to find an answer for that uh, maybe you, you finally did reach a conclusion or maybe you, you still are grappling with? Um, and you don't have to say what what you discovered at the end, but is, was there something that really you were trying to dig in and find out about? I mean, I think I got most of what I wanted. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything so. So there was no question out there that you had to ask a lot of the people about, like, well, what about this particular thing? I, I still don't get uh, how this happened. Okay, I mean, like, well, one thing that kept coming up with the characters who played the werewolves was the the um, the green spoon uh, contact lenses mm-hmm. that caused a lot of issue um, with a lot of the car. So Margie Infert talked about that and how she um, couldn't wear them and, uh, and that's why in the film you guys see her in the contact or even bearing fangs. There's a wonderful uh, production still with her and John Carradine and she has the fangs in place and the contact but that was a recurring thing about the different people who played the so Jim Murtow and who played her husband mm-hmm. um, Jerry and all these other people um, you know John McLeod they all talked about the contact lenses so there was that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, where um, there was this really interesting correlative uh, tissue between people talking about the same thing and bringing up the same thing and there was a, a nice consistency which I like Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, so that kind of thing, I think that kind of answers your question, I guess. That, cause mm-hmm. that, so that would inform my questioning afterwards. So, mm-hmm. and it'd be like, well, tell us about the contact lenses and what they were like. And, you know, all of them have the same kind of response. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. But yeah. Um, was there anything you discovered that emotionally moved you in some way, either positively or negatively? As far as, I don't think anything negative, but as far as positive, most definitely that the film was, uh, in D. Wallace's uh, forward to the book, that the film was a really nice, positive, community-feeling um, vibe. It was, you know, Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland was put on a show thing, and that, that's what I like mm-hmm. about these um, small, independent horror films of this period. They feel like, I feel like all of them, like Halloween and all these movies were that, that kind of nice, collaborative, um, uh, you know, we're doing things on a small budget, but we're going to make it as excellent as bloody beautiful and as perfect as it can be, and they did. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And just resourcing all this art, this art, artistry, and doing this incredible, pro- creating this incredible product that says so much mm-hmm. and looks so good. Um, and it's all based on just people working hard and doing long hours and committed to the craft and just delivering this terrific story. Um, and make sure that this werewolf film looks and sounds and feels and presents as wonderful as it can, and they did a superb job. Um, so that kind of thing, the idea of, you know, Dee and her husband, um, Chris Stone, who's no longer with us, of course, 
working together and Joe building the community, the sense of community with his cast and crew and Mike Fennell as well, the producer doing that. Um, and just having that sense of, yeah, um, family, which I think is really, is lovely, really moving. Mm-hmm. At what point, um, do you think the cast and crew realized, um, that they, it was more than just a fun film that they were making, that they created something you know, really kind of special and enduring. For the, for, the, for the most of the part, the interviews is when they first saw the film. Because when they were making the film, for the most part, they were like, okay, cool, yes, I get where it's going, but I can't really clearly see where it's going. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the stuff relied heavily on the Eddie Quick full werewolf, um, um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the costume and the animatronics and stuff to be fully functioning and working. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they were working for nothing. So Dee would be reacting to no werewolf, mm-hmm. um, or just standing. Um, and when they finally saw the film, that's when they all went, okay, this is brilliant. Like it's, it's a brilliant, perfect film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and they, it was a success, you know, it, was, it did really well. So, and now, oh my God, it's like, you know, Mm-hmm. One of the most important films of the early 80s, really, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and really set the standard and was a game changer and was a perfect, perfect combination of, uh, the celebration of yesteryear, which is what Joe, you know, fully, wholeheartedly embraces. I love hearing him talk as a film historian as well as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also really inventive and very modern, very, very modern and hip. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I think that's when they all sort of realised it was a great, that they worked on something amazingly, you know, strong mm-hmm. and dynamic is when they first all saw the film. So what do you hope the book will ultimately do? Um, just champion and give eternal life to the howling, which I mean, the howling already has that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's going to live forever. But I feel like it's, uh, you know, a, a nice tribute um to this perfect film, this incredible film, this wonderful creation that Joe Dante and his team, um, you know, weaved together and delivered. And I think what it will also do is make maybe other film writers appreciate the voice of people who work on film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to, you know, if you're writing about things in the 30s and 40s, I get it. It'll be tricky to find people. Mm-hmm. But if you're writing at the 70s and 80s, and for the most part, all these people are obsessed with those periods of film, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But just remember, everyone, there's a friggin' lot more before it as well, mm-hmm. uh, before those decades, um, yeah. to, you know, relish and enjoy and love. Um, the, that you should also, they, these people should search and branch out and reach out and interview these people to give them a voice. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this book, this howling book, Truth and TV Press, is a document of a film and how it was created, um, a tribute to werewolves in film, a tribute to independent filmmaking, uh, a tribute to monster movies, um, a testament to hard work and how hard work, you know, with hard work and through hard work, good things come. Um, and just a, yeah, like a fun ride, a critical ride, analytical thing. Um, you know, it, it, it's written by someone who really, really loves this film. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're going to get a lot of love in the book as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I think you mentioned before, uh, what, what's your next writing project? Okay, so the next um, book I'm working on at the moment is a book all about very special episodes 
from TV sitcoms. So basically, all these TV sitcoms from the 70s and 80s primarily, um, and some 90s, and even some early examples from the 60s, uh, that dealt with serious subject matter. So if you think of like, you know, different strokes dealing with bulimia or, um, you know, rape or whatever, or facts of life dealing with, you know, people with cerebral palsy or um, shoplifting or drug addiction or anorexia or, you know, all these TV shows that sort of dealt with those subjects. So I'm doing that, I'm editing that and, and um, contributing, but I've got a whole bunch of incredible writers on board and we're taking on every single episode that is deemed a very special episode. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, a bunch of essays on um, shows that kind of have overriding very special themes all the way through them, like Mary Tyler Moore Show or Cheers. But yeah, it's going to be a really cool, big, fat book. Probably the same sort of size as a musical book, which is about, clock about 800 pages. Wow. So it will be the same kind of thing, yeah. And then also, I've just finished the making of Christine book, which is, you know, it was so much fun. Such a, a smooth ride. Um, uh, just a really smooth ride. I think it only really took me a bit over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got 15, 16, actually, no, 20? Maybe 20 interviewees from the cast and crew, including John Carpenter mm. and um, Alexander Paul and Keith Gordon and Roy Arbogast, who built the cars. Um, and that's another same sort of deal where it's basically scene by scene and integrated slabs of quotes from everyone. So it's a, another official making of book, which will be fun. Mm. Uh, and that should come out in December. Um, so the Howling book is meant to be coming out end of October. Mm-hmm. around Halloween time and Christine by the end of the year and then I'll focus primarily on this very special episodes book which I hope to see a release of it in possibly early 2010 okay. so yeah so that's what I'm working on and also I just I run a film society here called Cinemania and we just did our first film journal which mm-hmm. is all about um, scarecrows in film and TV Mm-hmm. Uh, so we cover everything in that from The Wiz to Scarecrow to Dark Knight of the Scarecrow to The Wizard of Oz and all its incarnations to a journey back to Oz to World or Gummage, mm-hmm. basically every Dr. Finn, uh, Night Creature, everything is in there that has a Scarecrow in it. Oh, so wow. That's going to be cool as well. <laughs> that is cool. So where can, you mentioned one website uh, before, where can people find online the book and also, any other writings you do, social media websites, whatever? Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I write for a bunch of different places. Um, Diabolique is one. Um, I'm writing for Fangoria again when it starts again, it reboots. Mm-hmm. Um, God, there's a number of things. What I'm mainly doing at the moment, a lot of, is um, audio commentary. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of audio commentary for Kino Law, but mostly. Mm-hmm. They were an incredible company. God bless them. They're amazing and they released these incredible films. Mm-hmm. Um, a diverse amount of films. So I've done commentaries for films like The Reincarnation of Peter Proud, The Jericho Mile, Country with Jessica Lang, Orca, Umbrella. Um, I did a joint commentary with Alexandra Hara Nicholas, who's a good friend and another film critic uh, on Carrie. But I've done you know, a whole bunch of things the day after. Um, so all these things that I've done... Uh, at the moment, are commentary-based, but lots of talking. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing a lot of writing as well. But yeah, you can find, I mean, if you just Google 
maybe I would have found a bunch of writing and a bunch of stuff that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and the books are all available on Amazon, all the publishers directly as well, like Ben Nana Media, mm-hmm. who are brilliant. And I have to give a shout out to Ben Omart, who just does so much for film history. Mm-hmm. Um, if Leonard Moulton, you know, champions your company, you know you're doing something right. And mm-hmm. um, he, he does amazing stuff with, um, you know, film and theatre and TV and animation history, which is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cujo book and the Christine book and the musical book are all out through them. Um, the Howling, so it would be through Centipede Press, so if you go to their website, it'll be there. I think the pre-orders are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a, a nuisance to the publisher, but I'm like, when is it bloody coming out? <laughs> um, and they're kind of sick of me, I think. But, um, yeah, it'll be there soon. But because of, you know, the, the folk that want this book, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm as eager as you are to see this book. But, yeah. But, yeah, if you just look me up, you'll find some stuff. Um, and also check out the film site that I do, the film collective, cinemaniacsoz.net. So, C-I-N-E-M-A-N-I-A-C-S-O-Z.net. Okay. So you don't have a social media platform or anything like that, Twitter? Yeah, I'm just not really. I have like the Facebook pages for the book. Okay. Yeah, I don't really have like a blog or anything like that. I guess I bypassed all that, and my first writing jobs were with Fangoria. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, I just wanted to make sure on that. Um, so that's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words? No, that's, that's, I reckon that was brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris. That's a lot of stuff. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit chrisalvarez.com or theartofsciencefiction.com for more great interviews, photos, and articles. Your visits help support this podcast. Please remember that my first name, Chris, does not have an H in it. One of the best ways to provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Please give me a good rating if you liked it, or feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't. I'll use that feedback to make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi on Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC on YouTube under Chris Alvarez WLC and on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.